all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. Bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? No. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things, where we're not talking about the lost colony of Roanoke for once. We're not. <laughs> not this week. Yeah. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Best way to offer a suggestion because it's the most searchable. In fact, we had a listener this week. I'm so sorry. Oh, I think it was Wes. I think it was our listener, Wes, who I think is a North Carolina local, um, was like, hey, I have a topic suggestion. It's the blah, blah, blah. And he was like, wait, should I just email this to you? I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> and so he did. Thanks for catching on. Yeah. <laughs> mm. what, what what doth you be drinking? I We finally have non-boring drinks mm-hmm. to talk about yes i got this so my band played last night we're recording this on a saturday so this is the friday night we played a virtual gig at a place in hillsboro north carolina which i had never been to it's a little north of durham uh called called the nash street tavern very nice people the you know they were the only other two people there <laughs> because <laughs> it was virtual gig no one was actually in there um, pa- patronizing the Nash Street Tavern, but I got some uh, cans to go. They gave they gave me a discount too, which was super nice. Because nice. I mean, these are wicked weed. These are mm-hmm. not cheap, no. so they gave me a break. Um, this is Wicked Weeds Watermelon Dragon Fruit Burst Session Sour. It's good. It is good. I think it's pretty good. It's relatively sweet for a sour. Mm-hmm. I think very very fruity. sweet for a sour. Sweet for a sour. And I. And what 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 am I drinking? Because yeah. I don't really know. It is it's a jalapeno the, uh, something. Bird song. You like bird oh, songs? Oh, the uh, yeah, okay. jalapeno IPA. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm not sure if I've ever had a, yeah. a draft of it, huh? That's good. Yeah. You want to see how good it is? Yeah. Yes. How good is it? It's very good. Ooh, hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charging the mouse here. That one is good, too. I had that last night, though, the watermelon. You know you can smell the jalapeno mm-hmm. in this before you taste it? Yeah. Yummy. <laughs> Pepper and beer is not my favorite thing, so it's not so much my speed, but I'm glad you like it. You have a whole half-gallon milk container. Yes, I do. <laughs> Did you see their label? Mm-hmm. It's super cute. It's like, wear a fucking mask, wash your fucking hands. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Please do all of that and stay apart. Um, also vote, um, in person. I'm really sorry to have to say that, but please vote in person. If you can. If, yes, I totally understand. I mean, I'm just going to suggest that. I totally understand if you don't feel comfortable doing it in these trying times, but if you can wear a mask, bring your hand sanitizer, go to your local polling place during early voting in off hours. And that's my plan. And, and then if you are young and healthy, if you can, please volunteer as a poll worker because... Oh. <laughs> we already know the experience of uh, many of the poll workers. <laughs> All right. They're like, they're like, let me tell you about FDR's presidency. Like, <laughs> uh, like oh, I remember those like, days. Yeah, he's been dead for almost 80 years. Why do you, why do you remember that? <laughs> 
Oh, they always put the old... Well, they're all mostly old people, and then they put them on, like, the books to look through with them. Turn one page at a time to get to your name. And then, like, the 60-something guy who was a Reagan Republican is like, now let me tell you how the Reagan administration tried to dismantle all of it. No. Oh. (laughs) But you're not... And only succeeded with the Democrats' help. You know, as a poll worker, you are not allowed to talk about it. Oh, I'm sure you're not. At all. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. At all. That makes sense. Yeah. I I remember It's it's like when they have, like, the the protest zones. You can only protest so far in front of them. It's not a protest. It's... or campaign. Um, campaigning. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they're not really protesting anything. They're campaigning for their candidates. But you're right. There's a very specific border. Um, I mean, I can only speak to Wake County because that's where I volunteered. But um, yeah, definitely in the primary, I was so proud of myself. I mean, it is just baseline, but like someone would ask for the Republican or, you know, was a Republican and need the Republican ballot. I treated them just the same as those who requested. Well, of course. Everything else because I am, and I am telling everybody, please vote. I don't care Regardless who, of who you're, you're voting, voting for. for. We need this to be an accurate vote, one way or the other. So, um, yes, and uh, I'm I'm voting for gay. You're voting for gay. Gay. Yay. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I was like, or Yeezy, or whatever he calls himself these oh, days. Oh, Kanye. <laughs> he goes uh, on. He goes on. He goes uh, by Yay on Twitter. That's all I know. But if he's the Republican, no, he's he must be running third party then. I don't know how it's... Nobody knows. It's all a It doesn't matter. It's the publicity stunt of a mentally ill man. It's really just Yeah, but we voted for one of those the last time around. That's right. We did. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know. (laughs) All right. We ready to talk about something cheerier like, oh, a horrible plane crash? Oh, jeez. We're getting... It's been a while since we've done a plane crash, though, isn't it? We did two helicopter crashes recently, but we haven't done just a good old-fashioned plane crash... Our listeners love plane crashes. Not not in reality. You know what I mean. Yes. You all know what I mean because you're listening to this. Um, uh, and this is an awful one. There is nothing good about this story. This story just goes from bad to worse. So, hate to be a downer, but you are listening to a show called All Bad Things. And I'm guessing you'd prefer that to us talking politics. This is something different <laughs> yes. and awful to to take your mind off of the other awful, so... Unless you're a socialist, Marxist, Maoist, Stalinist, communist, uh, fascist. <laughs> those are all very different things. Yes, they are. Okay. But but you'll see somebody accuse somebody of all six of those things. <laughs> all right, so this is the story of the Uberlingen mid-air collision oh, wow. yeah these Another are one. always bad so uh, i'm these guessing this bad. happened in germany very good yes what gave it away i don't know <laughs> well i guess Ringen? well i guess it, i guess it could have been uh um like holland or the netherlands too maybe eh. the uber sounds very yeah. german yeah and it is so on july 1st 2002 a passenger jet and a cargo jet collided mm. midair over Germany, killing a total of 71 people on board both planes, and there were no survivors. Uh, I don't know that there ever are in those cases, you know. A midair collision? No. Yeah, uh, because yeah, it, typically it breaks apart both planes, yeah. both aircraft. So. And nobody's got a parachute. Like, it's not like a... Yeah, yeah right, like a military plane. It's not like a military like jet where, mm-hmm. yeah, they might get hit, but they could bail out. Like they, a, they might not necessarily survive that either. Like Harrison Ford on Air Force One. Yes, oh <laughs> I, uh, 
I will always remember the day that movie came out because I think I told you when we were watching it that it came out the day I moved into my first ever apartment ever. When you moved to Greenville? Yes. Um, and you were alone. You you first moved in alone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I was yeah, only I was only roommates. I was only twenty years old. Twenty year old But I I was so excited I couldn't Aww. wait. But anyway, that's that's why I'll always remember. Like, what day did Air Force One came out? Come out. I'm like, okay, that's the day I moved into my what, apartment. What date was it? I think it was June 20th, 1997. It makes Something sense. Like Summer that. blockbuster yeah. sort of thing. Something like that. We recently watched it, and that was the first time you ever saw it, I, right? I'd never watched it. No, I never had until 23 years later. Yeah. Was it worth the wait? Not really. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> it wasn't that good. I've seen Harrison Ford in better roles. Well, you're a Star Wars fan, so there's that. No, but even like Indiana Jones. Like, he's, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, yeah. Get off my plane. And the special effects were so bad. They were. <laughs> I mean, the even final for. The crash was terrible. Even for 1997 standards. Oh my God. I mean. Well, and we even had to look into why was the last crash scene so like they didn't have the budget for it or something there was a whole explanation about it and it's it's universally considered one of the worst special yeah they're like they're like it'll be at the end of the movie people would have gotten what they paid for like before that they're ready to go home they got some harrison ford as president that's all they were coming for the bottom of their popcorn bucket trying to get the last kernels out so main sources for this episode are aero savvy flightline weekly flightery Okay. I think it, they mean like flight flight dictionary or flying dic- it, it's sure. a weird word but anyway the independent flictionary flictionary no, no it's just T-O-R-Y oh okay flightery and then um, okay I am not a fan of anything including a reenactment so I don't tend to watch Investigation Discovery even though I'm a true crime fan I do not watch those plane crash shows but for you, dear listeners, I did watch an entire episode of Mayday, mm. a.k.a. Air Crash Investigation, mm. a.k.a. Air Emergency, a.k.a. Air Disasters, a.k.a. Mayday Air Disaster. It has different names depending on the country it's in. Which also uh, did a, uh, well, I don't know, documentary, a reincarnation of the, uh, the flight. Uh, well, just a... Uh, an episode a re- reimagining, yes, thank uh-huh. you. Reimagining is the word I was looking for of uh, the flight where uh, called the kid in the cockpit, which we they covered did. Re-enactment before. Reenactment is yeah. the word you're looking for. Well, reimagining, I guess. <laughs> they did not reimagine it, <laughs> but yes, that's how your dad knew about it. Yes. And he told us about it. Yeah. Um, the video that I saw, so it was the full episode, but it was in all in a mirror image for some reason, so everything was backwards, which was interesting. Probably because it was recorded off somebody's phone yeah, or something. Yeah, it was they just... daily motion. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, it, was, it was on somebody's periscope. <laughs> it, it, did, I had one, I had a little toy periscope as a kid. Did, did, I was talking did about the ever... app, no. Oh, 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 okay, no. <laughs> No, I did when I was a kid. It was blue. I remember it was like this little toy periscope so I could look around corners and stuff. I don't know. It was was fun as a kid. Anyway, watching that reminded me why I don't watch these shows. Yeah, because they're not good. The reenactments are terrible and unnecessary. Like, we watched the reboot of... um, Unsolved Mysteries on mm. Netflix recently. I kind of didn't mind how they did that. No, I thought it was, it was better. Sort of shadows yeah. and brief images and stuff. A lot more abstract. Not some, like, 
D-list actor pretending. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking their acting. The material's nothing to work with. And but. plus they do like a background image of Robert Stack. Because in the in the yes, yes. in the uh, credits opening credits yes, of the new unsolved mystery you, they do you have to have <laughs> you have to honor Robert Stack <laughs> yes. absolutely on August what is what the, what's the date today fifteenth sixteenth yes yes I need to wish uh, my cousin a happy birthday on August fifteenth in the no that's not his voice anyway I was gonna try to do I'm one of his Robert in- Stack. I was Didn't trying to, he have sort of like a little Yeah, bit I was of trying a to do it nasally for some reason. I don't know why. No, he had a little bit of a rasp. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Also, <laughs> so, <laughs> much, so much for that attempt. <laughs> National Business Aviation Association, the NBAA, the Telegraph, and of course, Wikipedia. The NBAA. NBAA. Uh, all That's right. They call it in Canada. <laughs> a. So this entire, I had never heard of this. A disaster and didn't have it on our list or anything this came from our uh, this suggestion came from our listener ash so thank you ash this was a this was a great terrible disaster mm. um suggestion so uh if i'm not mistaken this is only our second mid-air collision there's the tenor so, collision the but that was no, the Ch- Chucky Dodry. Uh, oh well, that was the midair. The Tenerife was technically on, happened on the yes, runway, so yes, it was not midair. Yeah. Um. So it was a collision, but not yes, midair. Yes. Or one was partly taken off. I forget, Something but it was like yeah. Um. So a couple extra trigger warnings. Um. Midair collisions are terrifying and end horribly. So if for any reason somehow you're flying soon, which not many people are, uh, don't listen. And second. This is especially terrible because the extremely high number of children involved. So this does not end well for 49 children. Mm. It's terrible. So so there were two flights involved in this collision. Um, Bashkirin Airlines Flight 2937 and DHL Flight 611. And so let's go ahead and talk about Flight 2937 first, uh, which was a chartered plane. Uh, the model was a Tupolev Tu-154M, a common Russian plane that came out of the Soviet era. I mean, we're talking O2. This is a little, it's more than a decade after the Soviet Union fell. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like it's 30 years after no. either, you know. Uh, so we're, th- we're just barely at 30 years later. Yeah, now. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the group who chartered this flight originated from Ufa, Russia, which is in the Republic of, of Bashkortostan in kind of like southwesternish Russia, kind of close to the border it shares with western Kazakhstan. And the group was comprised of either 45 or 46, I read both accounts in different sources, uh, kids around basically like 10 to 15 years old. So like tweeners and young teens. And they were accompanied by their chaperones, like par- who were basically parents and teachers. Now these kids were headed and, and their chaperones were headed to Barcelona, Spain, and also just kind of like the, the that general region as part of a two week summer trip organized by UNESCO, which is the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organization. And the kids who were specifically chosen for this trip were basically like the smartest and the most athletic and they were the best and brightest of the region. UNESCO though sounds it kind of sounds like a 
like a drink that you would like give to old people, you know, <laughs> like, you, you, oh. you know, like Pedialyte, you know, <laughs> UNESCO. UNESCO, insure Pedialyte, yeah, UNESCO. here, have some UNESCO, <laughs> no, you know what I've heard, it'll make you feel better, <laughs> you know what I've heard UNESCO in the context of is, um, I've heard World of, Heritage right, I was gonna say, yeah. I've heard of the organization, I didn't know what it stood for, mm-hmm. but yeah, it sounds more like an old person's, uh, <laughs> a nutritional supplement yeah, drink, something like that, yeah, <laughs> UNESCO, so, so these kids were, Kids who excelled in areas of either arts or academics or athletics. Um, And for that reason, they were among, you know, as makes sense and is typical, um, more privileged families as well in the area. Uh, There were very high achievers. One example that they gave in um, the Mayday show was one of the kids was 14. He was a painter, and he had already had two professional art shows. Wow. Yeah. So these are like the wunderkind, right? No shit. Like these are, which, it doesn't it doesn't make it more tragic. I shouldn't say that because that's just not true. But it's just like, it's yeah, shitty it's, regardless. Yeah. Um, the UNESCO group was to catch a flight out of Moscow. So they first traveled from Ufa to Moscow via train, which was a long trip itself. It was 800 miles uh, or 1,300 kilometers. So that's, I mean, that's like going from here to Miami plus, actually, I think it's like 700. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the travel agency that arranged the trip had them accidentally delivered to the wrong airport, which is shitty because that means they missed the flight that probably would have gotten them there safe and sound. Uh, so they actually spent a couple of days, they were supposed to already be in Barcelona, but they spent a couple of days around Moscow. I mean, this was still far from their home. So, and they were visiting the nation's capital. This was like a fun extra trip for them. They kind of bopped around there. Even the Mayday show shows like pictures that they took of sightseeing and everything with the kids in it. Um, while the travel agency was trying to fix their gaffe, right? Like, okay, how do we get these kids over to Barcelona? So finally, a charter flight was booked to leave late in the evening of July 1st. And the flight was almost all just this UNESCO group, but it did also include Svetlana Kloyev and her two children, Konstantin and Diana. I believe Konstantin was 10, Diana was four. And they were all going to Barcelona to meet up with their husband and father, uh, Vita- so Svetlana's husband, <laughs> the kid's dad, obviously, uh, Vitali Kloyev. He was an architect working on a project in Spain. So that's why they were going to Barcelona. And they had also kind of caught this plane last minute. They booked it just, just a few hours out. So there was an unusually large amount of crew in the cockpit during this flight. So the captain was 15 year f- 15 year <laughs> You said that'd be, that'd be impressive. <laughs> kid in the cockpit. <laughs> yeah. No, like one of the kids that, that is on this UNESCO. She's like, oh, I can fly planes. <laughs> right. We're like, we're like, like go ahead. Children. Yeah. <laughs> 52-year-old Alexander Mihailovich Gross. He was highly experienced, over 12,000 flight hours. But he was being evaluated by the airline's chief pilot, 40-year-old Oleg Pavlovich Grigoryev. Uh, so he obviously was also a very experienced pilot, being the chief pilot. He had over 8,000 hours, or 8,500 flight hours. Now, I didn't see it stated explicitly anywhere, but what I'm assuming why there even was somebody evaluating him was not any sort of, um, they, there was no mention of him being 
under watch or anything my guess is it was like a procedural thing mm-hmm. like everyone's sure. every so often you get evaluated yeah. or maybe performance review i don't know that's what it sounds like yeah though. it was it was it was more run-of-the-mill not because he was a bad pilot or anything so the assigned co-pilot the assigned first officer murat ahadovic it itkulov see see how i'm just trying to power through these i think i'm doing all right uh the russian names <laughs> He himself was almost, like, as experienced as Grigoriev, uh, but he wasn't officially serving as the first officer because of Gross's evaluation. Grigoriev, the evaluator, was the actual, uh, like, serving as first officer. Um, but he was along for the flight in the cockpit anyway. And also in the cabin, in the, the flight deck, on flight deck was the flight navigator Sergei Gennadyevich Karlov. And flight engineer Oleg Irikovic Valiv. And then there were four t- flight attendants on board, so there was nine crew and 60 passengers. So it's a pretty, like, hefty mm-hmm. uh, balance, yeah. right? And 49 of the 69 people on board that flight were children. Mm-hmm. So to clarify, uh, because... Direction is obviously important for this disaster. They were flying southwest from Moscow to Bar- Barcelona. And the second plane involved, DHL Flight 611, was working for DHL, right? So it was a cargo plane. Mm-hmm. They were delivering, I'm assuming, mail, uh, the global delivery service, right? So it was a Boeing 757-23APF. So it was basically like a 757 modified for cargo instead of passengers. And it was heading headed from Bahrain... Do you know where Bahrain is? I had to look uh, it up. I had no clue. I've heard of it. Is it um, Bahrain? You had to hazard a guess where it was. Uh, Even broad region. Uh, maybe like, I want to say the Ukraine. That's not That's not mm. a bad guess. It's Middle East. Um, <clears throat> it was, uh, let me see, just off the coast of Saudi Arabia near Qatar. Oh, okay. So like in that vicinity. I was not close at all then. Well, <laughs> but it wasn't a bad guess, I still think. And they were first flying to Bergamo, Italy, and then on to Brussels, Belgium. So they were traveling northwest. And uh, the collision occurred on the second leg of their flight after they left Brussels. So anyway, we'll get into that. So it, the DHL flight was being piloted by 47-year-old British Captain Paul Phillips and 34-year-old Canadian First Officer Brant Campioni. Hey. Oh, yeah. So, but Brant Campioni does not sound like a Canadian. Yeah, well. I mean, anybody can be Canadian. Anybody I'm can not be saying. Canadian. It's just funny. Yeah. If his name was Gordon, it'd be a better sell. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Brant, well, I guess we'll have to do. What was his last name again? Campioni. Brant Campioni. Yeah. It actually kind of sounds like a, either a sounds like an or a Italian. Sounds like an Italian immigrant that wound up in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's plenty of Italians where I grew up, and yeah. they're plenty in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. So like the pilots of the other flight, they were both very experienced. So this comes up time and time again. Everyone yeah. involved in this story were experienced mm-hmm. personnel. So the chartered flight from Russia took off shortly before 11 p.m. local time and the DHL flight took off shortly after 11 p.m. local time. And their flight paths were set to cross over southern Germany. Cross Meaning, mm-hmm. get by each other. Well, let's continue. God. So at this point, I'm going to talk a bit about air traffic control in this case, as well as something called TCAS. So let's start with that, TCAS. 
TCAS, TCAS stands for Traffic Collision Avoidance System. I'm guessing we talked about this. I think in we have. Shark that sounds Padre. familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, so exactly like it sounds, the whole point of TCAS is to try to prevent collisions between aircraft while flying. But it is kind of like the last line of defense because if you're to a point where TCAS kicks in, something's gone pretty wrong because it's not going to kick in unless a collision is Imminent. getting close. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's basically like a transponder in an aircraft that can detect other aircraft in the vicinity, even if they aren't equipped with TCAS as well. So it can tell if another aircraft is too close and presents a threat of collision. The impetus to really start developing a system like this was another disaster I do have on our list that we will eventually cover when two planes collided over the Grand Canyon in 1956. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, when two planes crash thousands of feet high, does not end well. So it made sense to start developing some sort of system to try to avoid it. Now, the first line of defense is, of course, air traffic control, because they're keeping an eye on everything and should be avoiding this well before it becomes an issue, right? But considering if that fails, uh, otherwise such collisions would never happen, then TCAS is the backup plan. And in the 80s is when they started rolling out TCAS on commercial flights. TCAS has various ranges it monitors, and then if necessary, it warns the pilot of encroaching aircraft in various warning levels. So the information <coughs> I'm about to give uh, is in the most current version of TCAS, which is called TCAS 2. So the first warning is called a traffic advisory, which kicks in when another aircraft is within about 20 to 48 seconds of travel time away. And here's where we get to do something that we don't do often, although I'll sometimes ask ask Siri about stuff and then play that, but we've got some uh, uh, sound effects. All so right. this is courtesy of AeroSavvy. Here's what a traffic alert sounds like. Traffic, traffic. Okay. It's, it's a very like, uh, it's machine sure. generated, just like clear and loud. It's meant to just be very like direct and hey, hey, right? Traffic, tra here's a female version. I guess there's both. Traffic, traffic. So that's what, that's what it says, right? When there's a, it's like, okay, somebody's getting kind of close. We don't like this traffic, traffic. And that's called the traffic advisory. <laughs> Hence traffic, traffic. Uh, they don't just like the band. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that band? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. They played uh, the first two Woodstocks. <clears throat> oh, very interesting. 69 and 94. How about it? Ah, how boot that, eh? Mm -hmm. So this warning is also indicated on the TCAS screens, screen, which shows aircraft in the vicinity, as well as their... Alt okay. I say this, but then I'm going to contradict myself later. Um, as well as their altitude relative to the aircraft being flown. But again, I am going to contradict myself on that a little bit later. So additionally, an audio voice warning of traffic, traffic, as we plan is given, or as we played is given. And it's not entirely uncommon for aircraft flying in high traffic areas to get this warning. I read that like some, some planes that fly out of places like New York sure. or LA, kind of, they'll get one of those every once in a while because there's even though of, it's fully under of, control, right. there is just a lot of traffic. So after the traffic advisory, uh, there is a, like a, an escalated warning, right? Like if you're still not getting out of the way or the other plane isn't, 
then you'll move on to a resolution advisory. In other words, how do we get out of this? And this kicks in where the intruding aircraft is closer to 15 to 35 seconds of travel time away. And uh, it's called resolution advice. Oh, I already said that. Oh, well, but it's going to. So basically it gives audio cues of what to do to avoid a crash. So some examples are to ascend, which it'll say this. Climb, climb, climb. It'll tell you, like, pull up, quick, you know, climb. Or, uh, here's some others. Increase climb, increase climb. So, like, okay. keep doing that, but more. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Descend, descend, descend. Or increase descend, or, um... Clear of conflict. Clearly that means, like, clear of conflict. Okay, you're fine. <laughs> we're, we're good now. <laughs> Uh, so it's interesting to note that if both aircraft are equipped with TCAS, because remember I, I said... Not all. Uh, right. But, but some. Um, that even if one plane has TCAS but the other doesn't, the one with TCAS will still do all this stuff. But something that's really cool is that if both aircraft have TCAS, they will give complementary commands. Sure. So that the makes one sense. might say descend, descend, and the other one might say ascend, ascend, but they're or climb, climb, but they're not going to give each other the same commands. Well, that would completely uh, climb, defeat climb, the purpose right. of the device. Exactly, exactly. But if some well, if we they, we told both of them to ascend, and somehow they crashed. Exactly. <laughs> But the idea is, like, if one has TCAS but the other doesn't, then presumably the one that doesn't will just keep where it is, doing whatever it's doing, so that TCAS can work around it. Or they can coordinate. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like we purposely sabotaged the United States Postal Service and now the election is rigged. How did that happen? <laughs> I love how you're just salty and just want to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, am. How about uh, but, we talk but at we, the end? We'll nah, talk we, at the end where yeah. people, I, I won't, people I won't bring up, out the camp. I will try not to bring up politics okay. again. <laughs> so now let's, uh, so in this case, both aircraft were equipped with TCAS. So that is important to know. So now let's talk about air traffic control. So air traffic control, obviously, it's location dependent, right? It's whoever's airspace you're flying over, like there are protocols of who is therefore in charge of your controlling your, your air traffic controlling. Uh, so in this case, the area of the collision was just inside the border of Germany, but was Swiss controlled airspace. So for this reason, air traffic control for this portion of these flights was headquartered in Zurich, Switzerland, which is really close to the southern border or pretty close to the southern border of Germany. Now the, the air traffic control duties in Switzerland had been privatized. Yeah. We're not talking about politics yet. Um, and uh, what had been, uh, the contract was granted to her, it was controlled by a Swiss company called Skyguide. Now, as one would expect, typically in most air traffic control centers, there are multiple people keeping an eye on any given airspace. And this was also the case in this Zurich location of Skyguide. At this point, or on this night, two people were at the control. <clears throat> but, at least this time, and let's hope this has changed, it was accepted common practice at Skyguide that if things were a little slow, like at night, with minimal traffic, as it was in this case, maybe one controller would just, like, kick back, take a nap, go to another room. Yeah. Leaving whoever was left to keep an eye on everything going on. Now, 
to be clear, this was actually 100% against written regulations for the company. But at all levels, it was completely normalized and expected. Hmm. So uh, the culture permitted it. And the rule was unenforced. And so that's exactly what happened on the night of July 1st, 2002. There were only two air traffic controllers on duty at the Sky Guide Zurich Center. And one decided to pop off for a bit of a lie down. Hmm. And left their co-worker, 34-year-old Denmark native Peter Nielsen, alone at the console. And just like the flight crews of both of the flights involved, like I said, everyone involved in this was experienced. Peter Nielsen was an experienced air traffic controller as well. Um, So this is not a situation of, like I said, somebody inexperienced causing a problem. So Uh, now as Peter was, I wrote, cheese stands aloning. What? (laughs) While he was alone. (laughs) You know, do you know that? The cheese stands alone. The cheese stands alone. Did you never play Farmer in the Dell? As a kid, <laughs> the farmer in the dell, the farmer in the dell. You and your songs again, or is this a game? It, well, it... it's a. Th- I, I I get like an impression of like almost ring around the rosy. Okay, that nobody else has ever heard before. No, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> kick kick in on our social meds if you've uh, if you've heard of this. Anyway, and the cheese stands alone just is kind of like a saying of all by your lonesome or whatever or left holding the bag. So anyway, <laughs> he he was alone around With the al- cheese. <laughs> yes, Peter the cheese Nielsen. Around 11:30 p.m. local time, when two technicians came into the air traffic control center to work on the main radar. Now, this actually took out the main radar, mm. which left Nielsen with the additional challenge of not only being alone, but of not being able to use the main radar, but rather working with the fallback systems. Now, in addition to this challenge, there was a system that would have given Nielsen a heads up a couple minutes out if two planes were getting too close to each other, but that also was being worked on and was also disabled. So it was a ground, it was kind of like a ground air traffic control version of TCAS. That would have warmed Nielsen, mm-hmm. but that was down too. This was like the stupidest maintenance possible. They basically ripped everything possible out of his hands. Anyway. <clears throat> More problematically, Nielsen wasn't even informed of everything that was going down. He didn't know this ground collision system was disabled. Uh, and further, the maintenance was causing a lag time in all of the information that Peter was giving for, getting from the fallback system. So in a role where he needed to be completely aware of what was going on in real time, he was working with information approximately two minutes old. So by the time he was getting the information of where the planes were, that was two minutes ago. And he didn't know oh any God. of this. He didn't know that that was going to happen. So we can see how this is just not going to end well. And end well, it did not. So as DHL 611 flew north over the Swiss Alps, they made the first contact with Nielsen as they entered the airspace he was controlling. Captain Phillips requested permission to climb to 36,000 feet, which was granted And now this was the same altitude that Flight 2937 was currently flying at. But at this point, they're like miles apart. They they aren't immediately encroaching each other's airspace. So right now, this is not a problem. But still working under essentially flying blind conditions, 
Without knowing it, Nielsen was juggling both air traffic control screens, which means that even though it was relatively light traffic, he was still responsible to monitor all flights that might come through his airspace. So in addition uh, to the DHL flight, Peter was assigned to monitor another flight, Aeroloid Flight 1135, which was coming in for a landing at Friedrichshafen in southern Germany. Not far from... uh, All of this stuff is actually very, very close. Sorry, I stopped weirdly mid-sentence there because we had to let little Demetrius out because he was just being very annoying. Uh, Tearing out our soundproofing with his little claws. Our state-of-the-art uh, soundproofing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so Peter was assigned another flight, landing in Friedrichshafen, and he called the airport in Friedrich, or he went to call the Friedrichshafen airport to be like, hey, look, I'm on my own here. Like, can you take over this flight? Uh, so he picks up the phone. Unbeknownst to him, part of the maintenance was that he can't call anybody. Oh he could God. not get a line out. <laughs> yeah, so... Dude is working without this ground collision system, without a main radar. His fallback system is two minutes behind, and he can't call anybody. So this is just, like, compounded horror. But he was unaware of all of this, except until he picked up the phone. Sure. Then he learned that the phones weren't working. The Aeroloid flight coming in for a landing remained assigned uh, to Nielsen by default. He was trying to pass it off. He couldn't even get a hold of them, so it was his. It was on his hands. Now, shortly after the Aeroloid flight was assigned, the third flight, Flight 2937 with the Russian kids on board, entered the airspace and contacted Peter. So he was juggling competing communication between Aeroloid and 2937, and then there was kind of DHL was involved. Then a fourth aircraft contacted him. Uh, But fortunately, that one, he was able to say, hey, you call this other airport and get, like, get them to help you. So at least that worked, and he was able to offload them. Now, this is all very confusing for anyone, but to be fair, if there's one thing an air traffic controller is good at and experienced in, it's multitasking, right? Yes, I would hope. But but the biggest challenge he was facing without knowing it was actually that all of his information was inaccurate because of the radar maintenance. Now, Peter did try further to offload the Aeroloid flight. Like, hey, look, I... I just want to concentrate on these other two flights. I don't want to land this plane. Um, But he still couldn't get a line out. He couldn't get a call out. The DHL and Flight 2937 were just, in the meantime, continuing towards each other at the same altitude. But now they were getting a lot closer. They were only about two minutes out of each other. Now, normally, as I said, at this point, Nielsen would have gotten a warning from air traffic control, the ground monitor system. That would have been his version of TCAST, like two minutes out. It's supposed to kick in two and a half minutes out of a potential crash. It was disabled. He was none the wiser. He didn't know. But another air traffic control center in Germany did get a warning when the two flights were picked up on their radar. And the controller called Skyguide Zurich, but the phone lines were still down, so they couldn't get a call in. Now, unfortunately for everyone... The controller's hands were actually tied by international air traffic control regulations that says very clearly there's a demarcation of which air traffic control is in charge. And unless you are in charge of that flight, you do not contact the pilots directly. 
Okay. So, unfortunately, somebody kind of saw what was potentially going to happen, but couldn't give a heads up. Now, under normal circumstances, this makes perfect sense, right? Because you don't want to be giving conflicting or confusing information. Unfortunately, in this case, it was not good. So as the two flights continued to approach each other, they finally got close enough for flight 2937 to start seeing the DHL flight on their TCAST screen, right? So they weren't getting any warnings yet, but it was just showing up on the little radar, Peter, however, was working on the Aeroloid flight at the time, and the DHL flight's TCAS hadn't shown anything yet, so the co-pilot of the DHL flight got up to use the bathroom. Uh, the only people with knowledge of any potential issues are the crew of Flight 2937 who are concerned but don't yet have the full picture of the situation because one, they weren't sure of the altitude of the other aircraft. Sure. Now that's in contradiction to my previous statement, right? right? So I'm not sure why that was particularly on this flight, but apparently there was some confusion as to the altitude of the other plane. So for all they knew, they were going to cross paths, but you know, thousands of feet apart in altitude. So it wouldn't be a problem. And then second, they weren't hearing from air traffic control, who presumably would be contacting them if there was an issue by this point. But soon they heard the TCAS, the traffic, traffic warning, right? Uh, And that, remember, that's, that kicks in around 20 to 48 seconds before a potential collision. Okay. Now, around this time, the DHL TCAS, uh, started picking up too the traffic traffic and now both flights were aware of each other but peter was aware of nothing hmm. so because the as the flights were close enough for tcas to pick up on each plane for the traffic advisory and there was very little time to avoid collision but not all parties were privy to it um but I'm, as I mentioned before, TCAS does start to give instructions in the uh, resolution advisory, right, of what to do to avoid a, a collision. And if both planes have it, which they did in this situation, they would be given complimentary instructions. So as they reached the resolution advisory phase, TCAS gave the instruction to DHL, the DHL flight to descend. So that was that. Uh, should I do this for effect? That was this morning. Descend, descend, descend. So they were told to descend at, by TCAS. So they they went ahead and started to descend. I hope so. <laughs> and this makes sense because if flight 2937 stayed where it was and then DHL descends, then DHL would pass under uh, 2937 and they'd be fine. Unfortunately, at this point, Peter's lagging radar finally revealed the potential path crossing of the two flights, but with two-minute-old information. So he thought they were a lot farther out from each other than they actually were. Now... Yeah, you would really want all this radar information in real time. Yes, 100%. Pretty much the whole point of radar, I'm pretty sure. Yep, so, so Nielsen saw this. So he contacts 2937, like, uh-oh, we've got a potential issue here. Um, he thought they were still a couple minutes out of it, though. Uh, so he's talking to them. Now, while he's talking to them, because he's alone, no one is picking up on DHL calling in. 
saying or radioing in saying, hey, we got a TCAS warning to descend. So he does not, one, he doesn't know how imminent this crash is. Two, he doesn't know that one aircraft has already been given the instruction to descend. It reminds me of the uh, the very last episode of the second season of Breaking Bad. You remember? The Well, it's not a spoiler alert because it's an no, old no, show. No, 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 it's an old show. The crash. Yeah. But, but it wasn't but, air traffic control. Yes, it, it was, was, uh, it was the Kristen do- Ritter's yes. father. Yes. Who was distracted. Yes, or, because she was dead. That's right. And he wasn't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's, but this that's is kinda, not not paying attention. No, I understand, but mm-hmm. I'm just, that, that scene is playing out in my head. Gotcha. Like Where these two dots are coming very close to each other on the radar screen, mm-hmm. and then they both disappear. Yeah. Yeah. So seconds later... Oh wait! I brilliant, think I... brilliant job of foreshadowing in that season too. They they yeah, started the, they started off the season and did the like a little. Mm-hmm. They did like a little one minute clip, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" I know it, play, it you, was a slow burn. And then you find minute. out in the end, you're like, "I really kind of wish I didn't know." I know that was bad. Yeah. Um, so DHL is trying to get a hold of him, cannot because he's talking to. Uh, 2937 on what he thinks is a lot less pressing than it actually is. But essentially, Peter was giving the same instructions as TCAS was, descend, but to the other plane. So TCAS was telling DHL to descend, so they did. And then he was telling the 2937 to descend. Now, the there's, there's some a, a problem here, right? So... The, the Russian plane, 2937, knew that TCAS had already kicked in because it said traffic, traffic, right? So if they needed to take evasive action, it would be telling them descend, descend, or climb, climb. It wasn't saying anything. But they've got a guy, an air traffic control, telling them to go ahead and descend. So they had a choice to make, which was, okay, well, we can follow air traffic control or we can say, hey... TCAS is in effect here, and so we need to follow what they're saying, what TCAS is saying. But here's the problem. In Europe during this time, and I'm assuming this is the case now, uh, pilots are trained that if your plane has TCAS and it gives you instructions, you follow it, period. If you get contradictory information from air traffic control, you disregard it, and you just pay attention to TCAS. In Russia, they had different training protocol. They said, if you get conflicting reports between TCAS and air traffic control, you have to make a call. There is no, you you have to decide which to do. Different circumstances may call for different questions or, or different considerations. Further, at the time, this was 2002, like we said, not hugely removed from the Soviet era. These pilots kind of came up during the late Soviet era. Well, sure. And, and there was a time, I mean... It might still exist where I'm pretty sure like all people, men and women, had to serve at some point. In the military. Yeah. So, yeah, that's possible. So it has been posited that the culture of Russia, even post-Soviet Russia. It's still lingering. There's still a lingering of the Soviet. And that in this case, that that included that maybe they gave more weight to what they were commanded by a person versus a machine. Further, uh, I think they mentioned this in the Mayday episode. The, um, the, as we have heard, the TCAS voice is like, 
descend, descend, descend. Whereas if you're hearing like a human voice saying something, it might feel more, I don't know, uh, there's more emotion in it, sure. more predictable, something. All right. So they... You might pay attention better than it would, or you might take it more seriously than you would a computer. Yeah. So basically they were given this order to descend. They're kind of like, wait, should we? And then Peter tells them again, descend. And so they made the choice, okay, we will disregard TCAS and descend. So further, um, Peter gave them a piece of, and I never saw anywhere why this happened, if it was a misreading of the radar or maybe the lag, I don't know. But he told them that um, the DHL flight was approaching them from the right, their right when in fact it was approaching them from the left. So they were looking out the right side of the plane to like get a visual unbeknownst that it was to their left the whole time. So set, or maybe it was the other way around. <laughs> Shit. I'm thinking the mirror. <laughs> it may have been the other way. Sorry. Either, anyway, either way, they weren't looking the in wrong... the, they weren't looking in the proper direction. Correct. So seconds later, Flight 2937, they finally saw on the other side that they were not expecting and realizing, like, shit, we are going to crash. I can't imagine what that must feel like when you're in when you're in fucking midair. Yeah. Now, at this point, because they they were descending. Sure. TCAS had kicked in saying climb, 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 because it was hearing from the other mm-hmm. TCAS system. Right. But they were still following um, Peter's. Uh, instructions. So when they finally spotted uh, the DHL flight, they're like, shit, they pull up, they try immediately to climb as quickly as they can, but they're but you literally can't. two seconds well, you're, from this it's, crash. Well, it's a, plus, it's a passenger plane. It's a larger plane. It's yeah. not designed for quick maneuvering. No. So it was too late. It was oh, all just Jesus. too late. At 11. Can you fucking imagine that. I, horrific. I, Jesus Christ. Horrific. This just, don't worry, it gets worse. Oh, it gets no. so much worse. So, 11.35 p.m. local time, the two planes collided basically like at a T-shape, a sure, right angle. That's, yeah. So, what happened is oh, uh, the DHL flight was slightly lower mm-hmm. than the than 29.37. So, essentially, the, the tail fin, I think it's called the vertical stabilizer, mm-hmm. like slashed the underbelly right of yeah. the fuselage of 29.37 broke it in half broke it in pieces so the passenger jet with all the kids on board like broke apart by all accounts likely people just lost consciousness at that point i hope so that's the fingers crossed version (laughs) and uh yeah i really fucking hope so that flight flight 2937 uh scattered crashed and scattered debris over a 130 square mile or 220 square kilometer area yeah that makes that makes sense because it's not breaking apart all at once Mm -hmm. it's breaking apart in different stages yeah as it's descending unfortunately and that's why so. this is called the uberlingen uh, mid-air collision because this was all the, the crash site was near the town of uberlingen which is along lake constance and along the german swiss border now more horrifyingly somehow as if this can get worse um flight 611 the dhl flight struggled on like it kept flying 
like hopelessly uh, for two minutes. And likely the pilots of that plane were still fully conscious and just having to try anything they could to save themselves, basically. Um, uh, and that, so they traveled another four miles or seven kilometers before crashing into nearby Tysersdorf. So all 71 people aboard both planes were dead. Um, in the category of silver linings, if there is any to be found, is just that no one on the ground was hurt or killed. Yeah. And there were... Which was when debris is spread out that far. And it's is... particularly notable because the, um, the 2937 debris, a lot of it fell around a school for disabled kids, mm. which could have ended really badly. But it was late at night, and in the end, nobody got hurt on the ground, which, okay, there's that. None of this is good, but okay, there's that, right? So, uh, the immediate aftermath of the crash can only be described as absolutely horrifying, because the debris had been scattered over such a large area, people who lived nearby came across various plane mm, parts, yeah. and most traumatically, uh, uh, human parts. Yeah. Uh... As emergency crews reached the site, the search and rescue efforts also quickly turned awful and traumatic as it became clear that not only were there no survivors, but that 49 of the victims were children. So people were finding children and parts of children. It's horrible. And again, don't worry, it gets so much worse than this. Uh, then there was. I'm trying to think of how. Oh, but, oh, don't but, even bother. But I don't we'll want to. to and I don't want to think of how. Um, I'm, not, there, I'm not even sure if I want to go on at this point. I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Then there was the matter of notifying the families, including dozens of parents of the children, most of whom were back in Ufa, which was over two thousand miles or thirty-eight hundred kilometers away. So they had to make. Those poor parents had to make travel arrangements God, to yeah. go to Germany to identify. to identify their kids. Jesus. It's awful. Yeah, that makes it worse. I the, mean, uh, the parents, they interviewed some of the parents in the May Day. And, I mean, what do you say? What do you... It, it kind of reminds me of uh, another event that we covered. Not a plane crash, but uh, Hillsboro. Yeah. When a lot of the parents, out of nowhere, were getting phone calls and having to drive to... Um, did that take place in not in Sheffield? Hillsboro. But what, I'm trying to think of the name of the stadium. Hillsboro Stadium. No, I thought it had yeah. Wednesday Stadium oh, or something like right. that. Oh, you're right. It did have a. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So a lot of them had to drive, you know, because people were taking trains to the games. Mm-hmm. People had to drive like an hour to go to to identify your crush. No, I know it's it's child or sibling or parent i mean i fuck that i mean and can you like you're sending your kid and, and i'm sure and i'm sure your mind experience. is just completely oh. fucking blank like you don't you have to you'd always yeah. have to like just turn off you know i i, I kind of feel like I, i've thought to myself that if something like that ever happened to somebody close to me i would just be like drug me Put put me out for a while. Like I just can't. I don't know how do you. I think how about, I think your deal. I think your mind and body kind of does that on yeah, its own. That's the shock. That's mm-hmm. the trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, one of the first family members to arrive to the scene was Vitaly Kalayev, the architect I mentioned before, who was working in Spain. Uh, who's uh, Svetlana, uh, Konstantin, and Diana were aboard, uh, his wife and his two little kids. Uh, now, he 
against advice of the rescuers or searchers, participated in the search efforts, um, which was discouraged for obvious reasons. Like, if you have to identify remains, it's done in a very controlled environment, right? But you should not be the one finding anything. No. Well, not only did he search, he found his daughter. His four-year-old. Um... Again, the quote upside is that she was she was fully intact. Her body was intact. He called her quote like an angel end quote like she had just fallen. Apparently, she fell through trees, so it sort of cushioned her fall. Mm-hmm. Um, he also found her pearl necklace hmm. that had come ripped off her neck and was uh, scattered on the ground. How the hell do you find that? I, wow! Uh, and over a hundred thirty square yeah. miles, he found her body and. Like, I mean, they reenact it very dramatically in the May Day episode, but, like, carried her and, ugh. Um, and then his wife and his son's remains were found later. And now, after this massive tragedy, Vitali understandably had a massive nervous breakdown. Uh, I'm sure many people suffered a very similar breakdown. Uh... He stated at the time, quote, I cannot live anymore. I simply exist. Hmm. End quote. I'm, I'm, I'm just, guessing that's I'm just, how a lot of people. I'm just here. I'm just here. My my people, for, my reason for being here is gone. So I'm just existing now. That's so, so sad. So sad. So. Because there are other reasons for living. You just can't let yourself Get, it's understandable to, to not yes, see it, it, it absolutely for the time, is. You know? Yes, it absolutely mm-hmm. is. I, yeah. I hope, I hope that has since changed in the eighteen years for the for these people. But we're gonna keep. Oh, okay. Vitali specifically, we'll get back to. Okay. So as the circumstances that caused the crash became apparent, like first of all, two planes colliding. Number one thing, what do you think of air traffic control? What the fuck? That Your would be the point. that would be the first thing. Exactly. Yes. Now, uh, so that's when, okay, what happened? Scapegoat time. Sky Guide offered up, oh, oh, uh, the, the Russian pilots. <laughs> uh, why, didn't, why didn't they follow the climb, climb order of TCAS? Why did they pay attention to air traffic control? Why did they listen to us? <laughs> well, that is a legitimate concern. It but, is, but except but for the but company, that's a really shitty thing to but do. But they're framing it in a... Horribly. Yes. Yes. Um, because that's my question too is like why didn't you the, the computer is doing that function because for, that's what it's supposed that's its only because that's trained, its only role but they were trained understandably for that. and the question maybe should be why was air traffic control telling them to do something wrong right that you know? too so eventually obviously and it's, the yeah. finger pointed heavily at sky guide right like what happened um Oh, I totally forget forgot this little part. So uh, I glossed over this, but not to gloss over it. Like Nielsen thought that he had averted disaster and then tried to get back in touch with them and didn't hear anything and didn't oh hear anything. God. And he had to wait for the radar to catch up that then showed. So he didn't know for literally another two minutes yeah. later. Yeah. He that... thought, he was like, wait, why aren't you guys responding? What's going on? What's going on? And then the radar cut up. This is something completely different, again, mm-hmm. as far as uh, trying to be... As far as um, air traffic control being in t- contact with somebody that mm-hmm. they're no longer in contact. Fortunately, this is some a, an event we cannot cover because I don't really want to go into mm-hmm. any more of it. 
but 9 11. Mm hmm. It is very creepy hearing the very first plane uh, and the communication between the one of the uh, stewardesses and the uh, air traffic controller. She's telling him that you know the plane's been hijacked. Right, because the, that's why the pilots weren't talking. And he's like, well, are, where do you think you're going? And she's like, we're going back to New York. And then she's like, we're flying really low. And then you just hear nothing. Oh. And it's... Those, and, and those just, last transmissions are so creepy mm-hmm. and so Because you, you know that you know however exactly many however happen. many people on that plane right. their, their lives just ended in that moment so it's it's, it's so it's, awful. it is chilling it's so and I, awful yeah um so yeah so they were they were like well why did why did the pilots listen to air traffic control and not to tcas my opinion of that is because the pilots were trained to use their own discretion they were flipping a coin that's all they could do was like i don't know sure and they had that long to make the decision they couldn't confer they couldn't decide like oh okay now there's five experienced people here let's sit and discuss the pros and no they had like 10 seconds to right decide. and i and i'm just gonna say you you will need those instincts in certain instances but they in didn't flight. know where this other flight but, was. no idea. but there's literally a computer on board making that decision for you so that you don't and making it Way unless, ahead of time. Unless your trainers have told you, mm-hmm. oh, well, you decide at the time. That's terrible training, if you ask me. Like, you have yeah. to decide, one or the other, period. And make and it makes sense to say, machines will make mis- glitches or whatever sometimes, but humans will make The odds are greater often. that a human will make the mistake. Mm-hmm. It really is. 100%. Um, wow. So, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't take long. For the blame to come back around to Sky Guide, right? Mm-hmm. The reality of the situation was, of course, a convergence of events. Uh, and that's sometimes called the Swiss cheese effect in risk management. So the idea is that there are weaknesses in any one system of sure. risk prevention, right? Sure. So the idea is to put multiple stop gaps in place with different weaknesses. So that those weaknesses, like okay, we're really good at, this system is really good at this, but may overlook this. Well, the other system's going to have an opposite, right? So Mm -hmm. at least if the one doesn't catch it, the other will. Everything is being cut off where it should be. Right. And it's called As far as the danger. Right. It's called the Swiss cheese effect because the idea is a slice of Swiss cheese has holes in it. Mm -hmm. But if you have, like, okay, so you have one slice of cheese and there's a bunch of holes in it. But then you put another slice of cheese behind it, some of those holes will be stopped at that point. And then you put another one in place. It, you know, so the sure. idea is the weaknesses are made up by other systems. But sometimes the holes in the cheese line up and the weaknesses carry through. And that leaves a, a point for something terrible to happen. And sort of the holes in this event were, for one thing, Sky Guides lacks staffing policy Mm -hmm. imagine if he had just had a second person there it may have he maybe wouldn't have been as distracted or maybe another person would have noticed that the radar was lagging or imagine a private company not really caring all that much (laughs) about safety now that never happens and we've never covered anything like that um another thing was the maintenance they didn't tell him what was going on it was horrible well, it's, times. It's, well, it's it's what it is in the majority of disasters that we cover, especially in this. It's poor communication all the way around. Yes, but I'm going to continue. Sure, yeah. And then also the training of the Russian pilots. If they had just been told, like the European pilots, disregard air traffic control if you're told to climb, you climb. And if they had listened to TCAS instead of Peter Nielsen, 
this wouldn't have happened. Again, not no one of those things is the issue. It's that it all happened, right? right? Well, it's, so, like, it's like at my job when we're hanging up, um, when we're hanging up bags of raw material because most of those bags weigh three, four hundred kilograms, which uh-huh. is you know almost a thousand pounds. So if one of them falls on you, you're dead. Yes. If you don't get out of the way, like you might you know get out of the way a little bit and it just crushes your leg. But there is a. But I'm just I'm just saying I'm not okay. trying to scare you. Okay. Thanks. I, I am just <laughs> I am just saying when you're going to hang up raw material, mm-hmm. you're supposed to tell somebody you're doing so in case they don't hear from you for like another. Uh, you know. Well, really, <laughs> but it's it's just a it's just a small thing. So they'll find your body sooner. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I get the idea, but it yes. still doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. All right. So in spite of the fact that they were among the first to initially blame the pilots of 2937, Sky Guide soon accepted full responsibility for the crash and apologized what, to the family. Really? Victims. I know, yeah. That's, they did. They okay. probably were just like, okay, we can't win this. We get it. They paid uh, legally required compensation of around 34000 U.S. dollars, which is around 48000 today for each victim. Okay. Further, the country of Germany uh, was found legally responsible for Sky Guide's actions and ordered to pay compensation to Bashkirian Airlines, the Russian Sure, yeah, that makes airline. sense. Other civil lawsuits ensued, obviously lots of legal action. On the criminal side, eight Sky Guide employees were charged with manslaughter. Mm. In September of 2007, Four were convicted and four were acquitted. The four who were convicted, who are all management, were given suspended prison sentences. Uh, or sorry, th- three of them were given suspended prison sen- sentences. One had to pay a fine. Peter Nielsen was not among those charged. We'll get back to Peter in a moment. So this disaster happened before the rollout of proposed changes to TCAS 2, which were, of course, subse- subsequently rolled out because these changes included that TCAS can now reverse orders. So in other words, if those changes had already been implemented in this case, the DHL flight's TCAS would have recognized that 2937 was also descending in contradiction to the other TCAS orders and would have told them to climb. Sure. So so it's like it's like a double smart like reading, right? So, so that is now implemented. Like the, that is a part of the TCAS now. Both of them are going against my orders, so I'm going to change it up for one of them. So that, right. Yes. Oh, according to reality, not <clears throat> mm-hmm. according to what is programmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Peter Nielsen never returned to air traffic control after the disaster. Uh, he walked yeah. out that night and didn't walk back in. I don't blame him. Uh, He was among one of the many who experienced PTSD as a result of the disaster, and he even had to receive medical attention for it. I mean, if you're in air traffic control, this is the worst case scenario. Oh, fuck yeah. That you are (laughs) responsible for... Well... That it, this all happened under your watch. I, I personally don't think he was he, I don't think he was responsible either. The he culture was, and the company were responsible. Right. Um, he was going with the information that he had. Mm-hmm. That's all he can go with. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't... He was not kept properly informed. Right. His company was not... You know what I likened the whole... What I was thinking about, um, you know, the idea that, well, it's against policy, but it's 
okay by management if like one of you goes to sleep while the other um, stays up at the controls is kind of what masks are right now. In some places it's like, oh, no, you have to wear a mask, have to wear a mask. But then someone will like put it under their nose or put it under their chin or something like that. And it gets tolerated in some contexts to an extent. I've sure noticed that in under like certain circumstances. Um, and it's hard to know, like, I feel like I've been put in that circumstance, circumstance and I'm like, you don't want to be the bitch that like yells at somebody demanding that they put their mask on or whatever. But I mean, it's so it's it's like that difficult situation, right? Or you'd be like that guy in the video I showed you the other day. <laughs> I don't. That was picking on people wearing masks and they got. Oh, car- oh, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't be, I, don't I be that get, guy. Anybody I, listening? The thing is that company culture is top down. So well, it, it it's also um like what we were like what you were saying like it. It was tolerated, but it was kind of against company policy. Well, it was definitely against company policy, but it was also definitely tolerated. There is a term for that, which we had covered uh, with the Columbia. Mm. Um, oh, si- oh, it, yeah. It has something to do with oh, like cultural incompetence, something, or something like yeah. where everybody kind of goes Tolerance. slack on a certain yep. r- rule, and nobody yep. ever, and then it comes back You're to bite them. Right. There is a term right. for that. I remember that. And I, I can't remember, remember what that. it is. Yeah, same. <laughs> but anyway somebody will tweet it at us or a comment and that that same issue is going to come up in the only space shuttle disaster that we have not covered which, which we yeah. will someday yeah we will we will um i what, cultural i fuck? know i know i forget what it's called corporate too. no it's not corporate it's not corporate oh this is gonna be riveting like cultural and into- something like that anyway yeah like cultural tolerance or Let's see, Columbia. Systemic Sist- indifference. <laughs> I, I like that for a band name. I'm, I'm taking that. Problem. Oh Riv- god damn it! R- that's gonna that's gonna drive we, us we, nuts. We need to stop that's... googling during episodes. I know. <laughs> we need to. <laughs> we just go back and listen to our own episodes. Yes. Okay. Somebody listening so, can figure it out for themselves. Yes. So, uh, at any rate, uh, Peter Nielsen did not return to air traffic controlling. I didn't see anywhere like what he did end up doing like for work or anything after that, but but Yeah. Are you ready? I guess I I have no other choice do On I? February 24th, mm. 2004, mm. the doorbell rang at Nielsen's house as he was home with his wife and three children. And he answered it, and at the door was architect Vitaly Kloyev standing there. Dressed in black and holding photographs of his wife and children. This is the guy who mm-hmm. found his four-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, Kloyev would later say of going to Nielsen's house, quote, I went to Nielsen as a father who loves his children so he could see the photos of my dead children and next to them his kids who are alive, end quote. That's kind of cruel. Like that... Let's keep going. Yeah. The two men, uh, had, a, the two men had a brief argument. During which Kloyev accidentally dropped the pictures of his family. Now, according to him, seeing the photos fall sparked his rage about the entire tragic situation. He pulled out a knife and stabbed Peter repeatedly in the chest. Jesus Christ. He died within minutes with his wife and three children at his side. And Kloyev was soon arrested. What the fuck? I know. I told you there was a surprise ending. And I didn't say it was a good surprise. Well, I, I didn't think it was going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, he murdered him. He killed him. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I was like, the whole showing up at his door with photos of your dead children, that's a really dick move. Like, it's not... He, the, the guy it's didn't... It's a fucked up move. Yeah. He, he was fucked up in the Sure, head, which know? is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's the, the, keep... Yeah, not, Jesus, okay. wow. Okay. So it turned out that Vitali had indeed had a massive breakdown after the death of his family. He stopped shaving, dressed only in black, and built a shrine in his home to his dead loved ones. Yeah. He was off the rails, basically. Yeah. When he was offered compensation by Sky Guide, it enraged him. And that's when he first began contemplating some sort of revenge killing. So he was charged and convicted in Switzerland of premeditated killing. So in Switzerland, that's somewhere between manslaughter and murder. Sure. So kind of like a lower level murder charge. That's, which is odd because here premeditated is first degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That, that's the that's the mm-hmm. highest that level is, of murder yeah. you can mm-hmm. get to. And he was sentenced to eight years in prison in 2005. He, uh, now, I, there were arguments also of his fitness to stand trial, as well as mitigating mental circumstances. I didn't go hugely into this because this is the crime aspect of it, right? Yeah. Okay. And so, I, yeah. Uh, he was paroled two years later. And he returned to his homeland of Russia and got a hero's welcome. He was awarded a medal in his southwestern Russian region and later became the deputy minister of construction there. I think what the sort fuck? of the, I think the okay. sort of That story right there, mm-hmm. let's think about that, what just happened for a moment. That is why you do not want to fuck with Russians. So can we please stop doing that? And I'm talking to everybody involved. Just let them... Let the Russians be. <laughs> let them have hang out in Siberia and let them do whatever they want to do. Because we don't want... Russia's a big country and not just Siberia. And, you, yeah. We don't want to fuck with people like that. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. We have psychos, but they have ones on, like, an extra level. Where they actually get a hero's welcome. So, uh, the Swiss government ordered him to repay the cost of imprisoning him. Uh, which he has refused to do. And he remains on the Swiss watch list. <laughs> Not the Swiss well, watch, but no. the Swiss, Swiss he, watch list. <laughs> it'd be funny if he did have a swatch, though. <laughs> For all my 80s friends so, out there who, who know what a swatch is, I can tell you don't. Before you heard of all of this... <laughs> I know what a swatch oh, is. Oh, okay. Before all of this... I thought it was a better joke than that it was. No, it was cute. I'm just trying to get through this. Um... Remember what you said before I told you all of that stuff about uh, Vitali? Uh, like you said, I, I hope he, I hope he moved on. I hope he got over it or whatever. Uh, yeah. He, well, well kind of. Well, do you want to hear the upside? He eventually remarried, okay. and his wife gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl, on Christmas Day of 2018. That's fantastic. Are you happy now? I, not <laughs> really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you just told me that without leaving it with leaving out the rest of the stuff, I'd been like, that's great. But now that I know... Let me finish this and then we'll talk about... Now that I know so many feels. the rest of the story. <laughs> the rest of the story. Jesus so Christ. So there are memorials for the collision victims at, bo- at both the 2937 and DHL crash, crash sites. The Uberlingen Memorial includes a sculpture called Zurichene Perlinketa, or Ripped Pearl Necklace, which consists of large metal balls connected by wire as a symbol of Diana's por- torn... Said porn. <laughs> so sorry. We, we needed a laugh at some point. In oh my god, that was horrible. It's not a porn pearl necklace. It is a torn pearl necklace. That was so inappropriate. I apologize by that weird, weird thing I said. Uh, 
uh, that Vitaly found. And it also includes a list of all the victims of the crash and their dates of birth, because so many of them were young, along with the inscription. Now, this is in German, but I did, ran it through Google Translate, so I hope it's correct. Quote, we are surrounded by death in the middle of life. End quote. I don't know if maybe it actually means we're surrounded by life in the middle of death. Anyway, that is the story of the Uberlingen midair collision. So, feels. <laughs> I... I struggle with this one because, I mean, I think ultimately what happened with um, Vitaly is that he was just not there. He was just gone. Like, after his wife and kids died, he peaced out mentally without realizing it and just became, like, someone he didn't, like, no one would have recognized. I'm going to have to watch the uh, the opening. It's probably on YouTube by now. Uh, the opening of the third season of Breaking Bad picks up of picks up from... The crash, when the, when uh-huh. the plane crash happened, and it's basically just a montage of news stories. Mm-hmm. But I believe in that show, the character of the, of the father, uh, who was the uh, air traffic controller, I believe he committed suicide. Or nope. completed suicide. Thank you. Yeah. Because um, the thing about it is... Yeah, because like, how could you... I mean... I don't... What I think it was is the perpetrator in that crime was a severely mentally damaged person, but the victim in the crime was a severely mentally damaged yeah. person, too. I do not think this was Peter Nielsen's fault directly. No. no. I understand that he was involved, but all I of his, think... All of his equipment was getting worked on. I, with, and his co-worker was just didn't know, sleeping. Yes. I think what it was was completely misguided anger. Yeah. Like, if he had killed the CEO of Sky Guide, he would have been closer... I'm not saying he should have, <laughs> to be clear. But he 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 focused on... On the wrong... Well, he shouldn't have focused on anyone for killing, but... On the wrong step of the chain of command. It was probably, honestly, probably the most accessible person. Well, yeah. And, and in his mental state, he probably just kind of erased all of the humanity out of him. And, and... probably for the air traffic controller, too, he's probably just in a... Blank. I can't imagine zone. he was living a great life. No. Like he, I'm sure he was just rattled forever, or well, for two years. Yeah. Well, he didn't until make, his death. He didn't even make it two years no. after the. Mm. I mean, that's I I. Uh, like no. I can't imagine that. I told you, like, don't worry, it gets worse. Yeah. This this just is shit on shit. Thanks, Ash. It's like. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like, but but I hear these stories and. I hear people with immense shame and guilt for what they've done. Not necessarily that they did anything on purpose, but they feel responsible for what happened. I'm sure Peter and Nelson did. Yes. He, he, by all accounts, he did. Yeah. He was, if he were not a good person, he would have been fine. Right. He clearly, like, he, he got, had to get medical treatment yeah. for trauma. Yeah. So, like, psychological trauma this wasn't a bad this was a person who cared if you don't care that's when you don't suffer right in a case like that right he did so i contrast that now we're getting back into politics okay. just just to so warn everybody so you can tune out so, if you're done story's done yeah. bye bye we'll see you next week but i contrast that feeling how he felt mm-hmm. how both of these people felt obviously one was was kind of a victim another one in a sense, was, was a perp- involved. In a, in a sense, was a perpetrator, but not on not he was, on purpose. He was involved. He right. was a party to this. The the dad was not. Right. So I I look at that. I look at their stories and how they reacted, and then I look at 
um, somebody like the cop that kneeled on somebody's neck mm-hmm. for eight and a half minutes had no remorse doesn't whatsoever. Seem to ha- even if it was accidental, even if it was, doesn't seem to be like, holy shit, I can't believe like that I, happened. And That's the, awful. And the other, I'm so sorry. And the other cops standing around them being yeah. like, because what that points to to me is something that is institutional mm-hmm. and something that is like just like oh this just happens like hey nailed on somebody's neck for eight and a half minutes and he's dead oh well what did you do today Shit happens. yeah what did yeah. you do today mm-hmm. you know so that's um i don't know where i was going with well that. i think but, but that it made me think of the difference between those two scenarios those two situations i think i think the long and short is it is a normal healthy mental human response that if you are involved in something that leads to a negative effect you you're will gonna suffer. feel guilty you'll feel sad you'll feel whatever and if you do you feel, feel those things it means you're it's a human good. being yes that's what i've told i've told people that i've told friends that like who are like i know I, like i know it was my fault but i just feel like shit about it i'm like it's okay to feel that way. That means you're not a psychopath. Right. It means you're not that a means, sociopath. That means you're empathetic. You're empathetic. You're even if it's not accurate, and that's the important thing because you don't want to beat yourself up forever right. about it either. But it's okay to recognize that I'm feeling this way because I'm human, because I'm mentally healthy, and because like that is what mentally healthy people do is when you're involved in something that leads to something negative you feel badly about it one way or the other you feel bad sometimes it it goes too far and then we start beating ourselves up turning to depression whatever the case may be but the the inherent nature of those feelings are showing our humanity right it's the people who don't seem to show <laughs> no. those that are big Those are the red people flags. you want to watch out for. Those are scary people because those are people who do not, either through mental problems or just through absolute narcissism or... I can't imagine just the way they were up at this time. Just they were how they were raised. Or their dad never loved them as a child. That's um, very common. And now they're taking it out on the whole country. <laughs> the, world, um, the world, actually. Yeah. Uh, so... That's, but that's a, that's a thing is I, I view the, the actual, the, the killing part is really hard to like parse out feelings on because it, well, that, uh, that even to, even to an extent, I can understand that just being in a rage. I, I I think he's probably telling the truth when he said he just went there kind of to be this is going to sound more judge- judgmental than I mean it. A dick. He wanted to. Sh- he wanted, wanted to rile something up. from somebody. Right. He wanted something from somebody. And frankly, he probably could have or did get some level of like empathy from Peter Nielsen. Although, if there was like an argument, it was probably because Nielsen was like, "Dude, you cannot show up at my house. My kids are in there. Like, w- what are you doing? Like." Maybe he even was like Sky Guide is the just one, be, or, or just whatever. being like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I, I experience this every day too." Right, you're not the only one who suffers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, it could have gone any number of. Places. Yeah, it wasn't my daughter, but <sighs> I feel responsible for your daughter. Yeah. yeah. However, but you know, it sure sounds like at some point Vitaly just saw red and sure just couldn't. There was there was language about like how he said like when he accidentally dropped the photos of his kids, he like was visualizing them tumbling to their graves. Like, it, he clearly was just 
Well, he clearly he fucking lost his yeah. mind yeah, in, that, in that moment. Yeah, he did. And unfortunately, it was played out on, of all people involved, someone who's put in a really horrible situation themselves. So. Twice. Yeah. I mean, he was put in a horrible situation by not having his communication equipment the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then through this this guy's actions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That story sucked. It's a, awful. A, a lot. It is so awful. I thought that it would be but, like get more interesting. Let's find than another. Let's find another lost colony. There must be one out there somewhere, <laughs> so we can just so we can just speculate and have fun with it. I hear ya. Yeah, it's it's hard to. Uh, sometimes that, that, that was way more fun because we don't know what the fuck happened to those people. <laughs> they could have found the city of Atlantis for all the fuck and we it know. Was hundreds of years yes. ago. They could still be alive now. <laughs> yeah. Because they got, uh, they were onboarded by the alien spacecraft <laughs> that that happened. It's possible. Technically, we, but, yeah, because we don't know. We know what happened to these. And it was all uh, shit. Yeah. All shit. Yeah, we're gonna do another. Uh, I'm gonna find a. I'm gonna find a lost colony. Here, <laughs> find something yes. better than this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Somebody left us a bad review, like, um, all good things. Come on, guys. I tune in for the disasters. Fuck you. First of all. Second of all, um, like, I'm sorry. It's really fucking depressing to listen to us, I'm sure. Imagine doing the fucking research. Dudes, I went in today to the office for three hours to finish up this research. Like, fuck you. This is miserable. In the middle of, like, a mass emotional and economic depression nationally and globally like fuck you if we want to have some fun with slap shot every now and then yes because <laughs> we as a nation have been going through collective ptsd for going on 20 years now just oh about my god i think it's vietnam i think we can go back to that's world true war II. No, world war, no civil war no basically we've <laughs> forever been, yes <laughs> all right well i'm done with my wicked weed and my little barefoot seltzer so i think i'm that means we need to be done with the episode. Yes, I think it does. Here's the name. That's why before, I'm close before, to you. Before you go on spilling things. Yes, thank you. So that was the Uberlingen mid-air collision, and it was a terrible story. It was horrible. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.